Welcome back to the Word on Fire show. I'm Brandon Vaught, the Senior Content Director here at Word on Fire. Got a great episode with you for you. We're going to be discussing with Bishop Barron his YouTube ministry, which a lot of people first came to know Bishop Barron through these videos. It started in 2013. We're also going to look at his top five videos of the past decade. So as we finish up 2020, we're going to look back over the past 10 years and talk through some of his most popular videos. But before we get there, Bishop, good to see you. And uh, how's the new year treating you so far? We're just a few days into it. Hey, Brandon, so far so good. You know, it's uh, we're still going through this strange time, you know, and uh, lockdowns and things are not you know, back to normal, but uh, doing the best we can. I wanted to ask you about that. What's been parish life? Uh, what's parish life been like? What's your regional area been like given all the COVID stuff? I know California has more stringent policies than the rest of the country. So what's it been like there? I go around every weekend to different parishes in my region. And my region is big. It's about 145 miles wide, two counties. And, um, you know, they're, they're making do. All the parishes have mass uh, outdoors in different settings. Some, you know, get still quite a few people, some just a handful of people. But, um, you know, they're doing the best they can. Not ideal. Uh, I always tell the folks, it, it reminds me in a way of the earliest days of the church when they probably gathered outdoors. Think of that famous text from Justin the Martyr, you know, from like 160 or 150 AD, and he's describing how the Christians gathered. And you can see it's the Mass. I mean, what he's describing is the Mass at least in a kind of primitive form. So I tell the people, in a way, we're in solidarity with our earliest uh, confreres in the faith. All right. Well, I mentioned at the beginning, what I'd like to do here is take a glance through the past 10 years of your YouTube ministry and look at some of the most popular videos, the ones that have gotten the most views, most comments, most attention. Uh, but before we get to those videos in particular, I want to go all the way back to the beginning, the beginning of your first YouTube video. Uh, it was in February of 2007, 2007, mm -hmm. that you uploaded your very first YouTube video. It was a commentary on the Martin Scorsese film, The Departed. Right. What were you expecting when you first uploaded this video? Well, I don't know. It was an experiment. Uh, YouTube had just come into being. I think YouTube came into existence in 2006. So by very early 2007, we decided to experiment with it. I remember at the time I'd gotten a, a, a donation, and it was a, a good, substantial donation. And the donor said, do something kind of creative with this. So I thought, well, all right, this YouTube thing where you can just put your own video up. And then we had the idea very clearly from the beginning, and it's part of the ethos of Word on Fire, that they wouldn't be churchy videos primarily. They'd be reaching out to the culture, beginning with something in the culture, and trying to show a link to the faith. And so hence, The Departed would have been just out at that time. I would have just seen it. Scorsese, of course, a famously Catholic uh, filmmaker. I should say he's a cat, he has a Catholic background. There are Catholic elements, I would say, in a lot of his movies. So I, I use that as a basis. But the idea was to do something short, uh, punchy, theologically informed, but based upon something in the culture. That was the idea. And we thought, let's try it. And the, I think that first one uh, I did in a, in a theater. And it was maybe older folks remember the, the Siskel and Ebert you know, show, these two movie reviewers, and they would sit in a movie theater and they would talk about films. So we kind of had that vibe in mind, I suppose. So there I was in a movie theater, but I was talking about the religious dimension of this movie. That's how we started. And um, I forget, Brandon, if 
if or how we advertised it, I, I don't know, but it was published on YouTube. And as I've often said, I was delighted when it got, I think, a couple of hundred views. Um, and we thought, well, okay, let's just keep doing it. So we, we continued in that vein. And then it was probably the fact that people could comment, and they began to comment on these videos. Again, usually negatively, which I've learned is this standard, you know, uh, social media uh, stuff. But um, that got us off the ground. And I think the ethos of it has remained in place over these years. So that was your first video in February 2007. So here we are nearly 14 years later, 67 million views later mm -hmm. at last count. What are some of the lessons that you've learned over the years? And maybe what are some of the surprises that you've seen in your YouTube ministry? Yeah, it's good. I, I do muse on that once in a while. I think that it was a good instinct to perform this experiment. <laughs> you know, We didn't know. And yeah, I remember in the early days, I thought, well, maybe we'll do a couple of these and they're not going to be very popular and then we'll move on to something else. So I think certainly the fact that as you say, 67 million views later, uh, they've appealed to people. They've, they've had the effect we wanted them to have. They proved to be an efficacious way to uh, announce the faith to those maybe outside the churches. You know, our, our, we didn't use the word nun in those days, but, but the nuns, the, the disaffiliated, were our target audience. So I, I think you know, I, I, I learned that to my satisfaction, that these really are a good way to reach out to the culture. What surprised me, maybe, maybe yeah, the, the popularity of them did surprise me, that they eventually got an audience. As I've said, I, I was surprised by the vehemence of the comments. Uh, I've learned now, I mean, it's just par for the course, but in the beginning, when there was, there was so much negativity, you know, toward religion and toward the Catholic Church and toward me as a priest. And that did surprise me, I must say, in the beginning. But, you know, then it enabled me to, to get some traction. It's like if you're, you know, that martial art when you use the momentum of your, your opponent against him. There's something of that where, gosh, at least I got you to respond. At least I, now I can engage you a little bit. If you're just out in none land and I, I never hear from you, I have no idea what you think about anything in regard to religion. Well, then I can't reach you. But you come after me with both fists flying. Okay, okay, I can, I can do something with that. <laughs> You know, so that was a surprise, but I suppose it was a it was a happy surprise. But um, you know, since then I, I'll say a lot of people have imitated it. You know, when I started doing this, I don't think was anyone in the Catholic Church doing that kind of outreach uh, through the internet. I mean, not many, but a lot have done it since, and that too is a sign. It's like if you're an entrepreneur and you start a business and then a lot of other people jump in, you realize, yeah, that really was a worthwhile enterprise. That was a real need in the, in the economy. So I think in a similar way, it proved that there was a need for this kind of uh, outreach. And, you know, it's God's providence too, Brandon. Uh, how strange that God provides for his church. And just when we needed some way to reach the unaffiliated, we got these new media. They didn't exist, you know, prior to, what, the year 2000, maybe. Um, but now we have them. And I'm now in this studio in Santa Barbara. I never dreamed I'd be in Santa Barbara, by the way, in 2007. Um, and we're still doing it with the means that God has provided. And I think that's another wonderful surprise. 
Well, as we wrap up this decade of 2020, I asked our data manager, Joe Simeo, to help me crunch the numbers and figure out what were your top five videos of the past decade. Hmm. Now, these only are videos that have been uploaded within the last 10 years. So not those that have accrued the most views over the last 10 years, but the top okay. videos you've uploaded in the past decade. So I thought we could maybe talk through each of them and then discuss why you think these videos have been especially popular. The first one is titled provocatively Bishop Barron on the Devil. This one came in July 2012, has almost a million views, 942,000 views. In this video, you emphasize that the devil is a real person. Uh, you say the greatest trick the devil has ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. And you also explain how to defeat the devil and his dark powers. Why do you think there was so much interest in a video about the devil? Yeah, yeah, probably, Brandon, under the rubric of why we like to watch train wrecks. And what I mean here is the devil, a spiritual person whose spiritual life is utterly a shipwreck. That's who the devil would be. The devil who, the scatterer, the accuser, the one living in radical um, distance from God, so it's what the spiritual order looks like when it's come undone. And so I'll go back to that image. We always stop and look at a car wreck by the side of the road. If, if there's a, a video of a, of a ship going down, or we're probably going to watch that. You know, So in, in a way, I, I kind of regret it, I suppose. It's not a, a positive showing of the spiritual life. We've done plenty of that. But the devil is looking at it from the other side, from the side of, of the shipwreck. Now, that's not altogether bad, because that's a way to learn what the spiritual life ought to be like. So you say, well, look, here's what it looks like in its shadow form, in its dysfunctional form. So don't do that. <laughs> do the opposite of that, you know? But then the second point, uh, which I think is a very important one, is to get away from the idea that the devil is just a uh, literary trope. And my generation would have taken that idea in. I think we, we didn't, we weren't taught that the devil's a real spiritual person. And I think that does real damage, though, when you don't understand that. As I've often said, the clerical sex abuse scandal reconfirmed my belief in the personality of the devil. Read someone like our friend C.S. Lewis, who was very strong on this theme, too. And, and um, I think a lot of people in the 20th century, actually, in the wake of the great dictatorships and the, and the just, just appalling destructiveness of the 20th century, had a renewed sense of the reality and personality of the devil. So I think all of that, you know, people find interesting, and, and it's good that they do. But I, I would say, too, is look past the shipwreck to what the ship ought to look like. You know? And now by way of contrast, you see the devil and, and what happens there. Now the opposite of that is what God intends for us. All right, so that was the number one most viewed video, Bishop Barron on the devil. Number two was Bishop Barron on gay marriage and the breakdown of moral argument. This one was uploaded in April 2013, huh. has 715,000 views. And in many ways, this video anticipates a lot of what you argued for in your book, Arguing Religion, yeah. a few years later. Yeah. You lament in this video, and I'm quoting, if argument is indeed a non-starter, then the only recourse we have in the adjudication of our disputes is violence, either direct or indirect. Talk about that video and, and why you felt so strongly compelled to make it in light of the arguments about same-sex marriage. 
Yeah, there's a lot there, Brandon. And part of it is, I'll just be blunt about this, you know, on the internet, if you put the word gay in the title of anything, you'll get a lot of views. There's a, there's a fascination in our culture with homosexuality. If I said homosexuality and the ontological argument, I'd get 100,000 views. You know what I'm saying? So there, there's something of that. I think just sort of the, the knee-jerk, fascinated reaction to it. But you're putting your finger on exactly what I was getting at in that video. What I was complaining about was the way people were engaging the issue of, of gay marriage, both pro and con, was more emotional than rational. And it was, you know, because my son is gay, then I feel this way, or because I've had this experience or whatever. And my point was, this is a dangerous path to go down because it, it blocks out real argument, that no one's actually making an argument, a morally and intellectually coherent argument for or against. So in that video, I don't actually make the argument. And I say that. I say, well, I, I haven't formulated it. I'm just observing that hardly anyone now on either side of this debate is actually making an argument. Now, the next step, because you say, well, all right. I mean, but people have strong feelings. But when you bracket argumentation, what you end up with is now the clash of wills or the clash of strong feelings. And what do you do when argument's been set aside? Violence tends to be the, the answer. And, and you're exactly right. My little book, Arguing Religion, came up out of this kind of concern. So that book isn't about gay marriage at all, but it's about this broader issue of emotionalism versus intellectualism, if you want. And that's not to say, oh, I'm down in emotion, I'm, I'm just a guy for reason. No, no. I'm for argument, which stands in the middle ground between bland toleration and violence. And the trouble with emotionalism is I think it finally leads in the direction of violent confrontation, because that's all we've got. So who's got more people on his side? Who can wield more um, governmental power? Who can get more social media power? Well, then we have just a, a clash of wills and a power rather than a real engagement of the issues. So I guess in a way, I'm happy that video has got a lot of attention. If people see past the title, <laughs> you know, always talking about gay marriage, to this issue, because I think that issue is of extraordinary importance. So that was number two, Bishop Barron and gay marriage and the breakdown of moral argument. Video number three is Bishop Barron on the Holy Spirit. This one mm. was an older video, May 2012. It's got 700,000 views, and you've made lots of videos on the Holy Spirit over the years. But in this one in particular, you focus on Galatians 5 and the fruits of the Spirit <laughs> and how to develop those fruits of the Spirit. I, I think it was just a couple episodes back we talked about yeah. a lot of these fruits, love, joy, patience, mm -hmm. uh, patience, kindness, etc. Uh, why are these fruits so important, and what advice do you give people on how to cultivate them in their lives? Well, you know, first I'll say, Brandon, as I, if the most popular video is on the devil, and that's about shipwreck, that's about the car crash on the side of the road, that's looking at the opposite of what we want. I'm, I'm gratified, and I must say, when I I saw your list. I was most surprised by this one, that that video was as popular. I, I didn't realize that, that this video got such a, a strong response. But I'm pleased because this shows now the positive side. What's it like when the Holy Spirit dwells in us? And that's the whole point of the spiritual life, right? Jesus came. He and the Father send together 
the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus now to dwell in us in a transformative way. That's the whole of, of Christian spiritual life. So I'm very pleased if people see, all right, according to Galatians 5, the great fruits or signs of the Holy Spirit. That's now not the shipwreck, that's the ship sailing. That's not the car wreck by the side of the road, that's the car zipping down the freeway. So uh, if, if you're looking for, is my life on, on track, go to Galatians 5. Does your life exhibit these fruits of the Holy Spirit? And Galatians 5 also lays out the opposite, right? The, the fruits of, of, of the less than Holy Spirit. So look at your life honestly and say, now, what do I exhibit? It's a really good way to see how you're doing. Or I've often told people, you're facing a decision. Do I go down this path or that path? Okay? As best you can, figure which path will give rise to love, joy, patience, you know, the, the uh, generosity, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And which path gives rise to the opposite? That helps you discern uh, which decision to take. So uh, I'm happy that one's a very popular video. And I, I would urge people, Galatians 5 is a very key text in the spiritual life. All right, let's keep moving. Number four, the fourth most popular YouTube video you've released over the past decade is Bishop Barron on whether hell is crowded <laughs> or empty. So this one uh, is from March 2011, has 650,000 views. In this video, you cover the position of Hans Urs von Balthasar, which you adopt a modified form of that known as the Dare We Hope position taken from von Balthasar's famous book, Dare We Hope That All Men Be Saved. I'm guessing you're not surprised that this video has become so uh, popular. No, and you know we've certainly been over this material a lot, and we have an FAQ page, right? Because people have have asked a lot of questions about it. As I remember, I was responding there to Rob Bell, wasn't I? I think he came out with this book, which espoused a kind of universalist position. So I was responding. Tell you the truth, Brandon, I had zero sense when I did that little video years ago that it would excite such an interest. I really didn't. I just thought, yeah, this Rob Bell book is out, and no, we're not universalists. At the same time, we don't have to hold to an Augustinian Masa Damnata view, and that with Balthazar, there's a kind of, you know, finding of a middle ground where we may hope for the salvation of all, but we don't know it. To me, that all seemed rather commonsensical, to tell you the truth. So it was very much within the Catholic space, though, uh, a lot of people on the, I'd say, extreme Catholic right that got very animated about this issue. And we've been over, as I say, but the basic charge is that in making this argument, I'm blasé about evangelization. It results in, well, who cares? Everyone's going to be saved anyway, so everything's fine. It's just the, you know, namby-pamby church of the post-conciliar years and all that. And I think that's, of course, nonsense. And, and my, my argument is, look at my own life. Look at my own ministry, which has been radically dedicated to evangelization. If I thought, oh, who cares? Everyone's saved. Why worry? It, it would just make mockery of everything I've been doing for the past 20 years or so. So, I mean, on the face of it, it's absurd that that's the position I'm holding. Um, the very fact that I've got a, a video, the number one video I've done on the devil, and I talk about a spiritual shipwreck, of course I, I believe in, in the possibility of falling away from God. In fact, I've argued in another video 
or maybe it was even in this one, I forget now, where I, I say uh, hell is a, is a corollary of two more fundamental beliefs, that God is love and that we are free. And so we can freely choose against the divine love, which results in this fire, it's a metaphor, uh, this, this enormous suffering that comes from resisting God. Of course I believe that, you know. Now, dare we hope given God's great mercy, dare we hope, given what Christ accomplished on the cross, that all might be saved. Yeah, I think that's an altogether valid position. And as far as I'm concerned, it animates evangelization. It doesn't undermine it. It animates it. I, I, if I'm hopeful that I, I can reach, in, in principle, everybody, well, of course, I want to do all I can. Because maybe it's precisely these little talks or videos or this sermon of mine or whatever that's the means by which God is endeavoring to bring someone to salvation. So I've, I've never been persuaded by the argument that somehow espousing this Baltazar position means you're, you're indifferent to evangelization. I, on the contrary, it seems to me. Anyway, we've covered a lot of this ground, I know, and I encourage people, look at that FAQ page on it, which is really good, I think. It helps to clarify. There are a lot of people, because of, you know, clickbait, they, and they want to keep stirring up uh, controversy, that have really misrepresented this position. You and I both know that, that it, it gets misrepresented as a kind of easygoing universalism and its origins, apocatastasis, and I mean, none of that is, is the case. But um, again, the popularity of it is maybe under the shipwreck rubric too, you know? So looking at the devil, uh, thinking about hell, well, that's the spiritual life having gone off the rails. Um, okay, if that helps you to think about it more positively, fine. But to remain obsessed with either the devil or hell is not where you wanna be. You know what I'm saying? That's not, I can say that very confidently, that's not a good spiritual position. If you're preoccupied with the devil and with hell, then you're, you're, you're focused on the shipwreck. No, no, no focus on, on the ship sailing through the waters. Focus on, on what the Lord is trying to accomplish in you and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. That, that's where your focus should be. Well, Bishop mentioned a couple times this FAQ page that we put together at Word on Fire to clarify what Bishop Barron believes, what von Balthasar believed, the distinctions, and, and how both of these views are compatible with Catholic orthodoxy. So I encourage listeners to find it. You'll, you'll go to the website wordonfire.org slash hope. So real easy to remember, wordonfire.org slash hope, and you can learn more about that topic. Do we have, Brandon, before we go in that FAQ, I forget now, do we have the reference to the catechism? And I always forget the exact number, but I, I always tell people that's my position, namely, Catechism says, under the discussion of the virtue of hope, in hope, the church prays for the salvation of all. I think that's an well, exact quote. I'll, I'll read it here. It's, yeah. it's paragraph 1821. Yeah, okay. It's right at the top of our FAQ. Okay, good. And this is, I'm quoting here from the Catechism. In every circumstance, each one of us should hope, with the grace of God, to persevere to the end and to obtain the joy of heaven as God's eternal reward for the good works accomplished with the grace of Christ. And then here's the final sentence. In hope, the church prays for all men to be saved. Thank you. Everyone listening with any doubt in your mind, that's my position. <laughs> that's my position. So if you disagree with that, you are in tension with the Catechism of the Catholic Church. But that is my position. All right, let's keep moving. This is number five, the final video we're going to look at, the most popular videos of the past decade. 
It's Bishop Barron on the Jordan Peterson phenomenon. Uh. So this is the newest one of the bunch. This was from March 2018, has 618,000 views. Um, I think there's lots of reasons why this video got a lot of attention, but maybe talk about it from your perspective. Which one, Brandon, remind me, is this the actual conversation I had with Peterson? Uh, no, this is, the, I think, the very first thing you ever did okay. on Peterson, where you're just commenting on this man teaching the Bible yeah. and gaining a lot of traction with young, non-religious yeah, men. Okay. Yeah, good, because we've done a couple things. I know we had that long conversation, he and I together, for like almost two hours, maybe an hour and a half. Um, yeah, you know, Peterson, as everyone knows, has been a major cultural figure the last, what, five years. Um, controversial because of his views, especially up in Canada, about the you know pronouns and the transgenderism and all that. But that's not what I found particularly interesting. It's more Peterson uh, on the Bible and on, call them spiritual themes, or the recovery of something like a spiritual vision in the wake of the New Atheist movement. That's what I found so interesting. So, especially among young people, after Hitchens, Dawkins, Sam Harris, and company have done their work, a lot of young people follow them. The church, you know, this is another uh, video we could do, but the church's response, I thought, was very anemic to the new atheists. Peterson, you know, who's, it's not even clear to me if he believes in God, certainly in the, in the, in the most robust sense of the term, but yet he began to speak from the Bible and from the spiritual tradition in a way that a lot of young people, and, and the fact that he gets millions of views on YouTube, tens of thousands come to see him, is a sign of it. He began to speak to young people in a compelling way. And I thought that was worth paying attention to. I thought we, as religious leaders and speakers, should pay attention to that phenomenon. And, and along with uh, my friend Chris Kazor, who's written a lot on Peterson, I, I find a lot of his stuff on the Bible really good. Now, is it a full-blown spiritual vision? No, it's not that. But it's what the church fathers would have referred to probably as the moral sense of the Bible. He would say probably the psychological meaning of the Bible. Okay, if that's a way in, I'm all for it. If, if that interests young people who would sit for two hours as this, this single person standing on a darkened stage talked about the, the, you know, Noah's Ark for two hours, that's okay in my book. I think that's really a good thing. Talk about a bridge, you know, to younger people. So I think that's probably what I talked about in that video on Peterson. Um, he's a, another, you just say Jordan Peterson, you'll probably get, you know, 500,000 views because his name is so uh, uh, magical on, online. But I think he's worth paying attention to, you know. Now, I've got critics on the as I fold my arms defensively, I've got critics on the left. You know, you just mentioned Jordan Peterson. They think you're advocating, you know, something horrific. But I think that's crazy. I think um, we would be derelict as religious leaders if we didn't take that phenomenon uh, seriously. I think moving into the next decade, Bishop, your next video needs to be Bishop Barron on the devil, gay marriage, the Holy <laughs> yeah. Spirit, and, hell, and Jordan and Peterson. Jordan Peterson, it'll get 90 million views. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, hey, let's close with this. Um, you started off on YouTube. That was sort of the kernel of your evangelization ministry. You, you had uploaded homilies yeah. and created a rudimentary website, but YouTube was kind of the main launching point. Since then, you've you know branched out to Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, the Institute, all you know, feature films, all sorts of stuff. 
do you still see YouTube as an important evangelistic tool for Word on Fire? And maybe you could talk about some of the new things we have planned for the next decade. And I'm thinking specifically of the new studio there and some of the plans for what we're going to film there. Yeah, the answer to your first question is is yes, emphatically yes. I think it's a has been will continue to be a very important uh, evangelical tool. Uh, you know, one thing, Brandon, this is a change as far as I'm concerned. When we first got going, everyone and his brother said to me, "Oh, you know, short. Keep them really short because people got this little attention span. The you know the poor millennials and their younger colleagues that they can't concentrate very long. So give them a short, short, short." So we always <laughs> went on that, but. In recent years, it's been proven the opposite, that in fact, these really long form um, videos and podcasts are more popular. And, you know, I remember that my eyes were open when I learned that uh, Joe Rogan, who's got one of the most popular podcasts in the universe, right? And he's on there with his guests for like three hours, right? And I thought, how's he, ha three hours people pay attention? Well, then we began to see really the longer form videos are very popular. I'll give you an example. Just last summer, so last July, I did that 55-minute talk on Marx, Nietzsche, Sartre, and Foucault and the woke culture. Very serious, more academic-style, philosophical lecture. Well, heck, that's done remarkably well in just a few months, and that's a long, serious lecture. So I'm, I'm very open to doing that kind of video. Now we got the Bishop, Bishop Barron Presents programs where I'm on with a, you know, a, a, someone who's who's a mover and shaker in the world of ideas. Uh, those are a longer form, hour or longer. So I, I'm very happy with that. Um, we used to bemoan the fact, you don't remember this, Brandon, you're too young, but uh, William F. Buckley Jr. had the famous show Firing Line back in the 60s and 70s. And I used to watch that as a kid. Buckley, this very learned fellow in, uh, with, with one other person typically, talking at a very elevated level for an hour about serious matters, which is black background, a handful of, of young people in the audience. And it was, it was on for 35 years, that show, you know? Um, most people in the YouTube era would say, oh, well, you know, that never happened again. I mean, the millennials can't handle that kind of, uh, you know, demand. But I don't know. I think the opposite now. Maybe as this form is maturing and people are getting more accustomed to it, they, they, they like these longer form discussions. So I think, uh, you know, full speed ahead. <laughs> to go back to my nautical image, I mean, full speed ahead with this uh, outreach through YouTube. Well, we have lots of great stuff planned for the next decade. We've mentioned a few times this new studio that we've built out in the Santa Barbara area. Our older one was difficult because it required us to change the sets basically every time we film, so it limited the number of videos we could produce. But this new one has multiple sets, multiple areas, multiple series that are going to be coming out. So uh, look forward to that. There'll be lots, lots more Bishop Barron videos coming your way in the next decade. Well, it's time now, Bishop, for our question from one of our listeners. If you're listening and you want to ask Bishop Barron something, send it in to us. You can do so at askbishopbarron.com. That's where you can record your question on any device. Today, we have a question from Maria in Michigan, and she's asking about the drama of salvation, how if Jesus already accomplished what he was meant to do, what are we still doing here? Um, so here's her question. Hi, Bishop Barron. My name is Maria, and I'm calling from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. My question is this. If Jesus already did what he came to do, 
assume a body, enter death to destroy it, restore humanity to grace, and Satan realized he was beat? Why wasn't that the end of the story? What are we still doing here? (laughs) That's a good question. Uh, Following N.T. Wright, I've talked about the five-act drama of salvation history. Creation, Act 1, the the fall, Act 2, the formation of a people, Israel, Act 3, the culmination of that in the coming of the Messiah, Act 4, and then Act 5. That's the act we're in, which is the the age of the church. Look at it this way. Uh, Jesus, with his dying and rising, represents um, D-Day. It's the victory of the Allies on the beaches of Normandy in June of 1944. So in less than a year, right, uh, Germany was defeated. Anyone who was really, uh, you know, politically and militarily um, plugged in knew on, on June the 7th, let's say, 1944, that the war was over, that we had won the war, that the enemy had been defeated, even though there was still kind of a tough slog ahead, including the famous Battle of the Bulge, you know, which was one of the most deadly battles of the war. And it took place that winter of 1944. My point is, the dying and rising of Jesus represents, as you said correctly, the great victory, the definitive victory. The war is in principle over, but now there's a mop-up operation. And that's called the age of the church. When we now, the mystical body of Jesus, the prolongation of the incarnation across space and time, continue under the aegis of the Holy Spirit to do what Jesus did. So we're still engaged in the mop-up struggle against the powers of, of sin and death. Now, why did God intend it that way? Maybe to give us the privilege of participating in the work of Jesus, so that, as Paul says, we might fill up in our own bodies what was still lacking in the sufferings of Christ. You know that mysterious line from Paul? It doesn't mean, oh, Christ didn't, you know, get the job done. I think it means he wants to give us the privilege of participating through our own suffering, through our our own engagement with the powers of evil, participating in his saving work. So why are we still here? Well, it's because it's our act now. We're in the fifth act of the theodrama, the age of the church. Um, the battle's been won. The war's been won in principle, but now we still got work to do. Well, thanks for the question, Maria. I've mentioned in the last few episodes that now's a great time to sign up for the Word on Fire Institute, especially as we're moving into the new year. If you're looking for some way to supercharge your faith and to become a better evangelist, the Word on Fire Institute is where you want to be. Besides getting access to all sorts of great courses, you get the Evangelization and Culture Journal, which we'll mail to you. You get a copy of Bishop Barron's book, Centered. We also just started a new course by Father Paul Murray, Hmm. who's one of the great spiritual lights in today's uh, world. He's teaching a course on prayer, beauty, mission, the hidden springs of the new evangelization. Bishop, you want to maybe just say a quick word about Father Paul and recommend him to our listeners? Yeah, I've known him for a long time. And as you say, I think one of the great spiritual figures uh, in the church today, he's written a number of books over the years on Dominican spirituality. He's a great poet, very fine poet. If you like poetry, get his books uh, uh, of poetry. 
uh, but I was just delighted we got him for the Institute. And uh, very engaging teacher, lovely uh, person. Uh, whenever I go to Rome, that's where he's based, I always, one of the highlights for me is, is dinner with, with Father Paul. We always go to a restaurant somewhere in Rome and we just talk for hours. And he's been a great friend and a great inspiration to me for many years. So if you want to get his course, and, and it, it's great, uh, you got to sign up for the Institute. So you can do that at wordonfire.institute. That's the website, wordonfire.institute. Well, thanks so much for watching and listening. Here's to another decade of videos here through the Word on Fire show.